0: Let's grab our Bibles. Let's go. With intention and purpose and enthusiasm, I always love preaching on Resurrection Sunday because there is such a joy. There is such a power and there is such importance in remembering what it means for us that Christ not only died, but he rose again. So we're going to turn to Matthew 28. I'm going to read the resurrection account together. And I have a, just a few thoughts to share, but before we get there, let me pray. Father, I thank you that there is no coincidence in your kingdom. There's no coincidence about this moment we share now that as we look at your plan of salvation, as we even this morning reflect on the reality of the resurrection, we can know a certainty that you are a God who is in control. In the midst of the chaos, regardless of what the news reports might say, regardless of the mountains that we face, you are our God you're with us, you're for us, and you're leading us through. And I pray, Lord, for... This moment that we share together, I ask that your words would come alive in our hearts. I pray that they would accomplish all that you desire for us today. We thank you that you are alive, that you're speaking to us, that you are ever leading us deeper into your grace. And I pray that you give us eyes to see you. You give us ears to hear you. You give us hearts that long more and more to know you, Jesus, the power and the reality of who you are. And I just pray that your spirit would move in the hearts and the lives of your people today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 28. Let's read together verse 1. It says, Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. Isn't it interesting that as we looked at the death of Christ upon the cross. What happened as he breathed his last? It says there was a great earthquake. The veil was torn in two. The dead saints wandered around the cities. How many of us would like to see that? That'd stir you up a little. And here again we have the resurrection and we have the earth shaking. It says in verse 2, For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone. And if that wasn't enough, He sat on it. I love that picture. Love the details. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow, and for fear of him the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, someone says, Amen. Just as he said, Come and see the place where he lay, Then go and quickly tell his disciples. You know, I love that in all the accounts, of course the resurrection is recorded in all Gospels, there's always this invitation to come and see. Come and see. Why was it that there was an earthquake? Why was it that the angel came? Not only did he roll away the stone, but he sat on top of it. Why was it that the angel invited them in to come and see? Because he is a God of signs he gives us signs to point to the reality of who he is I would suggest wouldn't just suggest I'll just tell you that the stone was rolled away not so Jesus could get out he had no problem walking through walls it was rolled away to give us a sign that would point us and move us from unbelief to belief you see faith is not wishful thinking it's an assurance and the certainty and the substance of what we believe and nothing speaks clearer and louder of that than the resurrection then the empty tomb a tomb that you can still go and visit today and we could argue well was that the actual tomb was it not certainly the message is the same there is an empty tomb there is a sign that points us towards a reality we'll talk more about that in a moment Not only does he give them signs, but he sends them forth. The angel says, go and tell the disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. Isn't that a good expression there? With fear, let's be honest. If you'd just gone and seen an empty tomb where you were convinced a dead man had laid and he was gone and there was an angel sitting on top of of a stone, there'd be a little bit of fear. Fear in the sense of the awesomeness of God, but fear in the sense of sheer terror. What does this mean? What does this mean? But it's not just fear. It is great joy. There should always be two realities, I believe, as we look at the resurrection. There should be a sense of awesome wonder. Who is this God that came? Not only did he die, but he rose from the dead. But it should also produce in us great joy. Not just some joy, not just a little bit of joy. Enough to get us through this miserable life to the other side of eternity. But great joy. We can live this life in Great joy. I'm glad you're happy about that this morning. We'll press on. So they departed quickly with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples, and behold, Jesus met them. Here's another detail I love. If ever you wondered whether the Lord had a sense of humor. It says, Jesus appeared, and he says, greetings. Greetings. Hey. Hi, guys. It says, they came up, they took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. And Jesus said, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Twice in this passage, he says, there they will see me. So much that I love about this account of the resurrection, but something not only here, but every time the resurrection is described in scripture, there is a reality of Christ meeting with his people. See, it would have been enough, I think, to send the angel. The angel sitting upon the stone. I mean, that would have been amazing. That would have been enough for me. I've seen the angel. I'm okay. And yet, not only to Mary, but to the disciples, to the doubting Thomas, to the Peter who had given up and decided he was better off just going back fishing. There comes Jesus to meet with them personally. Didn't write it on the Facebook wall. Didn't publish it to his Twitter account. He shows up in person see that's the first thing that i love about this resurrection is that it is something for us personally it's not enough for us just to hear the angel proclaim it hear the preacher preach it there is a reality that jesus wants to come and personally invite us in to the reality of his resurrection and not only is it a personal invitation but it's an invitation that was found not in the midst of great faith, but in the midst of great fear and grief. I love the account because in John, in detail, he goes into some of the different figures. He talks about Mary. He talks about the disciples along the Mayus Road. He talks about doubting Thomas. Poor old Thomas, you've got a bad rap from one moment. Don't you love when people label you from one mistake that you've made? You're the doubting Thomas. I like to call him the believing Thomas, but that's another sermon. That's another story. But in every instance, there is one commonality. There was not one person who came to the tomb with great faith. They came with grief. They came with tears. They came with doubt. I won't believe unless I see it myself, unless I put my fingers in his nail marks. They, Disciples, before they encountered Jesus, it says they're locked in a room for fear. The fear had locked them away. And yet into the midst of all of those circumstances comes Jesus. There he is. He's in the midst of the room. There he is in front of doubting Thomas. Come and see. There he is to Mary grieving in the garden. Here I am, Mary, look at me. What does that say? You see, so often we think that this is somehow about us working up our faith. If I could just have more faith I want to suggest that the resurrection story is all about a God who comes personally and he comes in the midst of not in the absence of our grief and our doubt and our fears and our just plain wanting to give up and go back fishing there is God in the midst not of our strengths but in the midst of of our weaknesses. Amen? Three of us agree. Great. I want to turn to one more passage of Scripture and really point us towards one word, three realities, and then we can all go and celebrate. Turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 17. Here, of course, is Paul's famous sermon, Mars Hill. He's proclaiming who God is, and he makes this statement, in verse 30 of chapter 17, in the book of Acts, he says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Why? In verse 31? Because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all. That's our phrase for this morning. He has given what? assurance to who to all he has given assurance to all how by raising him from the dead I want to encourage us this morning along this simple theme I know there is so much that we could talk about when it comes to the resurrection but I want to talk about the assurance of the resurrection the assurance of the what is this assurance what is it that we are assured of. Now, First of all, this particular word here, ESV, we're reading from it says assurance. Other translations say the proof. Some translations, it could be translated the conviction, the evidence, the undeniable reality. What is it about the resurrection that gives us assurance? What is it? And are we a people, perhaps more importantly, who are fully living in the assurance that the resurrection provides for us. So let's unpack that. What is this assurance? What does it mean for us to be living in it? Well, number one, first of all, it's very clearly an assurance of who he is. So the angels proclaim to Mary at the tomb. They said, he's risen just as he said. He said he would do it, and the resurrection is proof that he meant what he said. He said what he meant, and he meant what he said. And let's think about this. See, see, the resurrection is very hard to deny. We like to perhaps minimize Christ at times. Say, well, he was a good man. He was a teacher. He did many good things. We can even possibly minimize the work of the cross. Well, he, you know, he died as a martyr, and he inspired people. But I tell you what, you cannot get around minimizing the resurrection if there was a man who died and rose again as scriptures claim and evidence would point us towards that means something that is an assurance an undeniable reality of something and indeed we could go through the evidence much evidence over the years theologians historians investigating the resurrection and the evidence is compelling for us as believers it is our assurance It's our assurance if ever you doubt, is he really who he said he was? You need go no further than the empty tomb and the resurrection. Because if that is true, everything else we can build our lives upon. There's a reality to the resurrection. I love in Paul in the book of Acts, he says it's also an assurance or proof to the world. The great stumbling block is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because if that cannot be denied, then there is a reality that the world must look to and take notice of. And not only is it a reality of who he is, but it's a reality of what he came to do. That he came to bring us truth. For this purpose I came, came to bring us truth. I shared a, a few weeks ago about a conversation that I'd had with a guy by the name of Peter our paths had crossed and we had a wonderful celebration of of me just sharing the gospel to him and he was genuinely interested and I'd love it if all conversations that I had to non-believers were like that conversation but if I'm honest I've had a couple of conversations in the last few weeks that were downright discouraging and they were discouraging There those two separate conversations in particular one was with a family member one was with someone that I'd never known And I was trying to share with them the reality of the gospel, the fact that there is truth. Have you ever had one of those conversations, maybe you never do, and you're sharing and it just feels like your words are falling flat in front of you. Like there there is, what is even the point? What is the point? This is just not getting through on any level. And I was frustrated and wrestling with the Lord, as you do at times, saying, Lord, why do I even bother? There's a world that does not want to even listen to your truth. In fact, there's a world that not only do they not want to listen, they're very happy with the reality of their truth. Sometimes it's comfortable just to stay in our own little bubble of truth. For example, the other pastoral team will tell you from time to time, I really like to enjoy a good hamburger. And there's a little place down the road we found Broadburger. Who's heard of Broadburger? If you haven't your life is about to be changed <laughs> for the good you need to go and experience Broadburger. and so regularly I'm saying come on we have gotta go get burgers it's team building it's very important and I, I love a big juicy hamburger with all the fillings all the goodness if you're gonna go a hamburger you have gotta go the whole way but I would rather not in that moment be aware of the truth I'm just very happy to be in denial about the calories. I don't even want to know what sort of meat it is. Is it even meat? I don't care. (laughs) I don't care where it came from. This is goodness, and I'm going to enjoy it. In fact, my wife, she enjoys a good hamburger as well. And I I often justify my hamburger eating because I say, I'm going to have a hamburger, I'm going to have fries, but I'm going to avoid the soft drink. (laughs) That's my justification. You know, we like to all justify our shortcomings. Whereas my wife's like, no, no, if I'm going to hamburger... I'm going the whole hog, I'm going a hamburger, I'm going the fries, and I'm going a large, supersized coke. And, and, amen, says someone. <laughs> There'll be an altar call afterwards, I think. But, she justifies it this way, this is a true story, you can ask her. She says, you know, in, in third world countries where, where they can't properly sterilise instruments, you know what they use? I don't know if this is actually true but they use coke apparently and if if you want to get rid of stains from your driveway or elsewhere apparently a very good thing to use is coke so she says here's the theory you see I eat all of the the fats in the burger and the fries and then I just dissolve it all with the coke it's the perfectly balanced nutritional meal good upbringing We'll we'll talk to her parents later I'm not sure where that one came from if I'm going a burger, I'm going the whole hog and I just want to remain in this little bubble of, you know, avoidance of the reality of any truth. But as I was so discouraged from these conversations, thinking, Lord, the world doesn't listen. It's like, you know, they just ha- they don't have ears to hear it. What's the point in even sharing? Lost in darkness. I felt so convicted and the Lord said, that is the exact reason that I need a people who will stand up and not speaking the truth if we stop shining the light the darkness is already won. that is our mission it's not always pleasant it's not always comfortable but we are called to proclaim light in a dark place we're called to stand up for truth we cannot be backwards in coming forwards with all love with all mercy with all kindness But we cannot do that until we have that undeniable assurance of the fact that there is truth, that Jesus is who he said he was and he came to do what he said he would do, to die on the cross, to save a world from their sins, to proclaim the gospel, to preach the good news of Jesus Christ that is affirmed by the resurrection of Christ from the dead. So it's an assurance of who he is, an assurance of the truth that he came to proclaim. It's even an assurance of his eternal purpose. Look at this story. We see here not just Mary, but the other disciples caught up in fear. Peter is so discouraged, he's headed off. We see so much questioning and doubting, so much wondering and wrestling with the Lord. All things that I'm sure none of us here have ever done, never participated in. And yet there's a reality that even in the midst of that uncertainty and the doubt and the fear, God had a purpose. God had a purpose. As we look to the resurrection, I see an undeniable reality that in a world of chaos, whatever might come, that he is accomplishing his purpose and plans. And we can always be reminded and keep our eyes on his promise. Not on the problems around us. That's our mission. That is our priority. Do you live with that assurance? That assurance of who he is, of his plan, and of the reality of his truth. That's point number one. The others will be a little shorter. Do not fear. Secondly, there is an assurance of his provision. There's an assurance of his provision. Paul puts it this way. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, if Christ did not rise from the dead, then we are still in our sins. But if Christ did rise from the dead, then we can have undeniable assurance that our sins have been washed away. We've heard quite a bit in the media this week about sin. Unless you've been hiding in a rock somewhere, you'll know that there was the what they're calling the worst scandal in Australian cricketing, as there was a deliberate attempt to cheat. And I don't want to in any way diminish the reality of sin and of cheating in that way, but I did think a few things. I couldn't help mentioning it in a sermon on Resurrection Sunday. I thought, isn't it funny as a society how we still have some sort of a conscience? We do. We can recognize that something is wrong and yet it seems a little bit warped because in so many ways we, we celebrate sin. The weight of fame is often to release a compromising video of yourself. Popularity, we celebrate all sorts of immorality and innuendo, but when it comes to messing with the cricket ball, we know what is right and wrong. There is black and whites in this life. At the moment it's only to do with cricket, but that's okay. You see, there is still this reality, even with our warped consciousness of sin and sin will always find us out. And every time, even this week, as we've seen this sin come to the light, there is this reality of forgiveness, sin and forgiveness. And we've had players pleading for forgiveness. Please forgive us. We're so sorry for the mistakes we've made. We've messed up. And articles, one article was entitled this. Can the Australian people ever forgive the cricketers for the mistake that they've made? There is this awareness of sin and this recognition of the need for forgiveness. You see, I would suggest that although we have a warped conscience, there, there is still a reality in the heart of humanity of the presence of sin and our need for forgiveness. Will the Australian people ever forgive the Australian cricket team? I don't know. But I tell you what, as believers, here is our assurance. Our assurance because Christ has been risen from the dead. That as we stand before God at the end of our lives, we will stand not in our own works and righteousness, but clothed in his righteousness with our sins washed away, welcomed in as his sons and daughters. What an incredible privilege it is. We don't have to live and wrestle and wonder can we be forgiven? Will we ever be forgiven? Christ says, Look at me. Look at the price I've paid for your sin and my resurrection from the dead. And live with the assurance that it offers the believer that your sins have forever been dealt with. Do you live with that assurance? We don't know how long we are to live, number of our days. But would you say if you died this day, that you would die with an assurance of where you're going, an assurance of the salvation that he offers? Very quickly, I want to touch on one more assurance. We have assurance of who he is. We have assurance of his provision. But we have an assurance now, not just In the everlasting in the resurrected life we have an assurance of his power we have an assurance of his power the resurrection is the ultimate symbol of God's power Christ said uh, Paul says of Christ he says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is at work in our hearts and our lives because he has risen from the dead we know this power that raises the dead To life, The power that rescues sinners, the power that conquers sin and the power that will keep us until the day that we stand before him in glory. I've been reflecting this week, though, on the nature of this power. So often I think we we look at the power of the resurrection. We look at what Christ has accomplished and perhaps because of some misguided teaching, we think, well, it's it's got to be the power for us to avoid suffering. The power for us to live in great prosperity and to have a a fancy house and to be removed from any trial and tribulation in this world. I would say rather than it being a power that is removed from trial and tribulation, it's a power that we find in the midst of trial and tribulation and difficulty. That's a clap. Thank you. Who is that, Anne? Full marks to you. I was um, watching a movie on Thursday. It's just come out at the cinemas. It's called Apostle Paul. Who's seen the Apostle Paul? What's it called? Paul, Apostle of Christ. A few people. If you haven't seen it, it is worth a watch. Just don't go in thinking it's going to be a nice, happy, celebratory movie about the life of Paul. It is dedicated to the persecuted church, and it's set in uh, against a backdrop of great suffering, AD 67, Nero setting Christians alight. But I tell you what, it's got a powerful message about the hope that we carry in Christ, not in the absence of suffering, but right in the midst. And there's a couple of scenes. There's one scene where Paul's in prison at the time. The prison warden comes to him, and and he's just confused about Paul who's been accused of many crimes and he says why have you done this? What, what is your motivation in having gone all around the world, missionary journeys, proclaiming the gospel people hold you up as a great follower of Christ, what is it that has driven you? Was it you know wealth and success and Paul said look at me, I'm in prison and I have no wealth, I have no houses and cars and he says oh well, well, well was it you know, a sense of achieving something and status in other people's eyes. And Paul turns to him and says, no, I, I boast in my weaknesses. Because in my weaknesses, he is made strong. And it continues on. He says, what, what is it that drives you? And Paul looks at him and he says, well, and I, I'm summarizing. I didn't have a notepad there to, to jot it down. But he says, you know, everybody in this world is grasping for things that they can never hold on to. But he says, I live for that which I can never lose. I live with a hope for eternity. And there's this scene of, uh, and, uh, as I said, a lot of the movies built around this thing of suffering and persecution, but there's another scene where there's this group of, of Christians that have been rounded up, and they're in the chambers about to be pushed into the Colosseum with wild animals and all the suffering that went on there. And yet as they go forth, Their response is to be singing praises to God, facing certain death with the hope and the reality of Christ burning in their hearts. You see, this is the provision of his power. It's not a power that's found in in wealth and success and prosperity. It's a power that's found in the midst of suffering. In the midst of difficulty, in the midst of whatever you will find your life in, there is a power of the resurrection that is ready to provide the strength that we need to live victorious lives. To live the victory we find in Christ. It's not taken from It's proven through his power at work in our lives that we can conquer sin, that we can stand the test of time, that we can finish the good fight, we can run this race with passion and perseverance, knowing our eternal, unshakable hope in him. That's the power we're celebrating. Amen? We have the assurance of his power. So I want us to just conclude, and if there's the worship team, is happy to come back you can put your Bibles aside. I'd love to just pray for us, but if you could turn your attention to the Lord. want to ask us this question, I want to pray for us. Because my passion in, in as, as we celebrate resurrection, as we talk about, as Paul says in the book of Acts, that which is our great assurance my passion my desire is that we would be a people who live with an assurance great assurance there is so little in this life that we can truly be sure of we like to think that we're sure we like to think that we've got it all together I eat healthy I exercise if you think about it there is so little Of our lives that we actually have any control over but there is an assurance that we can live with that the world can never live with there's an assurance of the reality of who he is there's an assurance of his provision when we stand before him our sins are forgiven we're washed clean and there's an assurance of resurrection power that's at work in our midst and our lives today Do you live with that assurance, the assurance that the resurrection brings? Let's pray. Lord, would you cause us to be a people who live with assurance? And certainly, Lord, I know my own heart has been just moved this week as we've approached this time, reflecting upon your death and your resurrection. Lord, seeing the the testimonies and just thinking of, of those, even today as we gather in freedom to worship you, who will gather at the risk and possibly even the cost of their own lives, who face great persecution and tribulation and trial. Lord, I thank you for that assurance that we can have, even facing certain death that we live for something so much greater than anything this world could offer. And I pray that we would be a people who live with such great assurance, that we do not doubt who you are, who the resurrection proclaims you to be, that we never question or back down in proclaiming the truth that this world needs to hear, that we so boldly live in the assurance that our sins have been forgiven. We never take for granted, but we live each and every day in the reality of the power of your resurrection. We pray these things in your mighty name, Lord Jesus. Your mighty name.